From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. Now, here's your host and bud tender, Gary Johnston. And welcome back once more to the Cannabis Podcast. If this is your first time, well, you're in for 30, who knows how many minutes of information and talk, discussion, admiration for cannabis. Yes, it's true. It's a plant that I have an absolute passion for. And if you share that passion, welcome. Today, well, we're going to talk about this year's grow. It has happened. I have harvested a bunch. I've got a bunch in curing stage right now. And I'm going to tell you all about it. Plus, I have a story about the hidden danger of black market edibles and their high dosages, what that can result in. We're going to look at something that many are considering. A tolerance break from cannabis, this from a medical perspective, but I suspect there's a lot that the recreational market can take advantage of. And then, on Cultivar Corner, it's the complete opposite of tolerance break, when we are going to dive deep into Lot 420's Gelato 33. All of that and more on Episode 76 of the Cannabis Podcast. And we're going to start today with a story that, in my mind, says there's still a big, huge issue with the black markets and edibles, especially the dosages that are in the edibles in the black market. We've talked about it a whole bunch of times. We're hoping that Health Canada is finally going to make some change and, and adjustment to the legalization to get rid of that artificial 10 milligram cap on all of our edibles, because it's that 10 milligram cap that keeps people going back to the black market to get their higher dosed edibles. And there is a story out of Victoria this last week that indicates the danger of having those black market edibles with their less than appropriate packaging located in a home where they may be accessible. And here's the story from our friends at the OZ. Five kids hospitalized after eating illicit cannabis gummies. Five children under 10 years old ended up in hospital after eating illicit cannabis gummies packed in a colorful brand knockoff wrapper. The Victoria Police Department released a statement Wednesday, along with photos of the bright, cartoony, stoner patch cannabis gummy package, which bears an uncanny resemblance to sour patch candy bags. The package contained 500 milligrams of THC. Legal edibles in Canada can only have 10 milligrams of THC per package. Police say they were called to Victoria General Hospital on Friday, July 16th. Officers learned that the children were attending a barbecue when parents noticed the children had began acting oddly. The parents questioned the children who told them they had found candy while playing in a room and consumed it, say Victoria Police. The parents investigated and upon discovering the candy were THC gummies, immediately called 911. The children were observed and then released, say police. Police did not specify that the gummies eaten by the children were illicit, though they clearly were at those high dosages. The use of cannabis products is permitted under provincial and federal law in Canada. However, given the close resemblance of some products to non-cannabis products, officers are urging those who use cannabis products to safely store them out of the reach of inquisitive children, says the statement. Strict marketing restrictions in the legal industry ban this sort of branding. No charges are expected. And earlier this year, Mars Wrigley announced it would be taking legal action against anyone making use of its trademarks to market and sell THC-infused edibles. So that, in my mind, is again 
showing us very graphically that having the illegal market, the black market of edibles with all of those high dosages still so abundant out there, that there are some things that clearly need to change. I'm kind of excited to talk about this subject. Let's talk about growing some cannabis. We've talked about it before in the podcast, kind of kept you apprised as my early growing time, just as legalization began, when we grew those outdoor crops of standard sativa and indica and ended up having people rip them off at the end of the year because they had to wait for that 12-hour light cycle to get some flowers on them, which in my part of the world means you're not getting flowers until September and October, almost into November. And that caused us to take a shift in direction, a shift in plans a couple of years ago. I just got tired of being ripped off at the end of the year. <laughs> I'd leave a plant in the garden hoping that it would go get to really, really amber in terms of the trichomes. And then I'd wake up one morning and look outside and that stupid plant would be gone. <laughs> so we decided that's enough. We're not putting up any more cannabis in our yard just for somebody else to take. And two years ago, we made a switch. We decided to try autoflowers. Now, if you're not familiar with autoflowers, they are a hybrid that is comprised of various components of either sativa, indica, and more importantly, the third cannabis type, and that is ruderalis. Ruderalis is a cannabis type that originated, I believe, in Russia and does grow in cold climates. It's not known for high THC, but it is known because it grows low to the ground and it autoflowers. It's genetically inbred in ruderalis that about the seven-week mark of vegetation it will start producing flowers. That seemed appealing to me. So we tried it the first year, and eh, our results were a little sketchy. We did four plants, which, of course, is what you are legally allowed to grow in Canada. In BC, there's the extra stipulation that many people don't realize, and that is that your cannabis plants cannot be visible from a public space. And that has stopped a lot of people I know from growing cannabis. They wanted to put it out on their balcony or out in their front yard or whatever the case is, and you simply can't do that because the police will come by. Although I haven't heard any actual experience of police busting gardens since last year's when they did that couple up in Revelstoke. I digress, <laughs> which sometimes happens when I'm imbibing in cannabis. <laughs> but that shouldn't be a surprise to you by now. So let's talk about this year. Last year's was not as productive as we had hoped, which made me question whether or not we wanted to continue doing the autoflowers. We made a decision. We said, let's try one more year and let's see what happens. Did a bit more research, did a bit more investigation and discovered, well, we knew about it before, but we hadn't really done anything in terms of the practice of training an autoflower plant. Go ahead, go on YouTube and, and search for training of autoflowers you'll get a quickly an idea of what that means. In essence, you're taking the side or the, or the branches that are coming up through that main stem, you're gently prodding them to go in a more horizontal fashion. We use some uh, clotheslines or rather some uh, <laughs> clothes hangers as little wires to hold the plant in that place. And then it literally starts growing horizontally. Now here's the cool part. So in the center of each of these plants, we did four plants this year, two, and the ones we chose were Blueberry Big Devil, and that's my sativa, and Afghani, which is the indica. The seeds came from Crop King Seeds. I know there's still some debate about the legality of using seeds that aren't from a legal store, but I question the validity of them being able to genetically test the plant that comes out of my garden and determine that it came from a seed that didn't come from a legal store. 
that's a, that's an aside. That's where I've got my seeds. I've got them there from the last few years. And we have never had a seed not pop. It's one of the reasons I keep going back to them. So blueberry, big dibble, that was the sativa. And then Afghani was the indica. So let's start from the beginning. I, and I don't know why I did this. I thought we needed to get a real jump start on growing this year. I guess I was kind of thinking, and again, flashing back to last year where we tried two, two crops. The first crop came off very low in bounty and I thought, well, maybe if we do two crops, we can get more bounty. We did, but the crop ended up having snowfall on it before it was even, even close to finishing. So we knew that wasn't going to work. We had to find a way to increase the bounty in a single year. So here's what we did. We started our crop or started the seeds, I think way back in April, in typical fashion, using some paper towel, a little water on a plate, stick that in a dark drawer in a dresser, and they have popped every single time for us, just within a matter of days, usually three to four days. Start to get that tail, let that tail get to three quarters of an inch or an inch, inch and a half, and then you know that they're ready to plant. So we did. We planted them this time in some fairly significant pots. I think they're about six inch pots. And we started them off in my wife's greenhouse. A good spot here in this particular part of the world to get some seed started where it's still a little cool outside. Things were not ready to put into the ground until probably mid-May thereabouts. Why we started them early in April, I have no idea. And this was one of the deficiencies in what we did this year. By starting them so early and leaving them in the greenhouse so long because we couldn't put them in the ground yet, the plants ended up spending most of their vegetative state in the greenhouse, and they didn't get really bushy. They didn't develop a whole lot of leaves. I was starting to get a little worried that maybe we'd made a major mistake here. But we carried on. We kept going. They kept, we actually had to move them into bigger pots. But there wasn't a whole lot of vegetate going on. So now I've got a plant that's maybe standing two feet tall, I don't think they got any higher than that. And it had, at that point, probably maybe six, seven nodes that, that were coming out of it. We kept them in that state, dropped them into the garden, I think on the 23rd of May. And they immediately started flowering. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. There is no hyperbole in that statement. It, you could almost see the, the buds start to pop once they got into the ground. And within a day or two, you literally could see those buds starting to form and all of the particular nodes. And that's when my wife came to the rescue and she truly became a superstar with our cannabis this year because she is retired. She has a bit more time to, to spend around the garden and boy, did that pay off for us. <laughs> I was worried we were again not going to have a great bounty, but as I said before, take a look at training autoflowers on YouTube and you'll discover the technique and hit it. this is what it did. In the past, we've had that nice big cola. In the past, the one year we did autoflowers. <laughs> we had that big cola in the center, and that was that was pretty well it. There really wasn't much else to the plant. But with autoflower training, and you get those side nodes going horizontal rather than vertical, we ended up this way in every single one of our four plants. That big, big center cola. So by the time I pulled those out, we had a fist-sized bud in the middle of that. That was the center cola. And because that developed so rapidly and monitoring all the trichomes and the levels of how much clear, how much milky, how much amber do I have, I pulled the center cola off of each of the plants first. That was ripe. But on the peripheral of all of the other plants were four, five, 
six, seven, eight healthy buds that themselves transformed into wonderful little colas. So we got five, six times the bounty that we would have before. Now, I haven't finished. In fact, there's still one plant in the ground. I'm kind of jumping the gun a little bit by even talking about it. But nobody's going to steal that plant. I know that. <laughs> there is still one plant in the ground. It's probably coming out tomorrow. And the other thing that has happened this year, because of the training, because of the way things are going, it's allowed me to dry in, in literal cycles. So I popped off those four middle colas off of all the plants, put them in the drying area. And because we are in the midst of a very hot time here in this part of British Columbia, they've been drying really fast. In past, when we had the outdoor grows and they were coming to harvest in October, November, the dry would take hmm, probably 10, 12 days. <laughs> Not this time. As I have read, the way that you determine whether a plant is ready and, and has been dried enough as you snap a branch, and it should literally snap. It shouldn't bend. And the branches were snapping solidly and cleanly, big snap, like a twig in the forest. So we knew they were dry, and that was happening in like five days. So I didn't want them to get too dry, so I quickly processed them. Did a fair amount of wet trim before we even threw them into the dry. Took all the big leaves off, all the fan leaves. And then in that second stage, when we were waiting for each of them to mature, did a little bit more trimming as they were going down, trying to get rid of now some of those smaller leaves that are there. And after five days, the first blueberry came off of the list. And I'll, and I'll probably have the picture of that on the artwork for this episode because it's a pretty nice looking bud. <laughs> and that one came off and we threw it in the curing jars. And as of this point, I have, let's count them. There's one, two, three, four. There's, I have 11 jars right now that are curing with varying amounts of blueberry big devil and Afghani. And they're curing really nicely too. So all of those plants developed all of these extra colas, which again put our bounty up by five or, or six times the amount that we would have had in previous years. And then into the curing process. So decided to buy a whole bunch of new jars. I had jars from previous years, but they were a little bit tainted and uh, weren't doing a good seal anymore. And that's the key to curing is getting that airtight seal so that you get all of that wonderful curing magic. And it is fabulous how they are developing. And there's one I want to tell you about, <laughs> and that is this guy. And this I pulled off. It, it went into the curing. So this was about been curing now for a week. I have one, and this is the one that is in the picture on the show art, which is when it came off of the plant, what it looked like, and now I'm holding it in my hands, and I have one cola, and I drop it onto the scale, and it's 12 grams. That's pretty impressive from my perspective. <laughs> I have a number of other ones, but this is the only one I have that is the only bud in a single jar of curing. So the curing process... You, you drop your, your weed, your dried weed into that, the appropriate size buds. And I have some fairly significant buds as well this year. And then you burp them. You give them an opportunity, uh, and you can do it multiple times through the day if you want, but at least once a day, burp those jars so there's a bit of fresh air that gets in. Rotate the jars so the buds aren't getting stale and aren't sitting on top of each other. It helps to uh, eliminate any possibility of mold. And continue that curing process until you see the nugs start to show up. And that's what's fascinating for me about the cure is how these 
what perceived to be when you when they're really dry and you first put them in, you think, my goodness, that's gonna that's just gonna fall apart. But then when it starts to nug up, it just pulls back in, the moisture comes out, and it turns into those lovely little nuggets of cannabis that we all enjoy. And I've been having a blast with it. And I think since this is the cannabis podcast. I'm going to take a wee bit of a break here, and I'm going to actually roll up some of my blueberry and uh, do a kind of a, a preamble to Cultivar Corner. Now, if you have not yet grown your own weed, you have not had the joy of the experience of taking some of that weed out of a curing jar, rolling it up, and smoking your very own weed. <laughs> it is a blast. I'm going to do that. So this has been curing for uh, about two weeks now. This was one of the first batches of the blueberry that headed off into cure. Really a delightful aroma in the jars. I'll do a full cultivar corner on this at some point in the future, but this is just kind of a preamble to finish off the story about growing. Oh, just delightful scent. Quite enjoying that. A very smooth smoke. Again, a bit of a digression. How long did all of this take? Well, as I say, we put the plants into the garden uh, probably about mid-April or into the greenhouse, into the garden, May 23rd, and we were nine weeks. Nine weeks from that point, before most of the plants had done their full maturation, all of the buds had developed and ready to pull out. And as I say, I still have one left, and that'll probably be at the 10-week mark when we pull that guy out. Not a bad turnaround for growing some cannabis. Most impressed with how it turned out this year. I'll give you an update in probably a couple episodes once I have finished the cure and, and done the final tally of everything that we have and what the total amount is. In my opinion, based on what I'm seeing so far, I think this has been the most bountiful year that we have had in growing cannabis. Learning to train the autoflowers properly was immensely helpful. Increased our bounty by five, six times at least. So, blueberry big devil, Afghani, those are the two choices. They're both autoflowers. They both have a flowering time of seven to nine weeks. And that time fell right in the mark. It is so much fun growing your own cannabis. THC, CBD, terpene profiles, what's in me? Oh, please explain to me. Cultivar corner, cultivar corner, oh yeah. Cultivar corner, please explain this stuff to me. On Cultivar Corner today, we are taking a look at a product from Lot 420. It's called Gelato 33. Now, I have to say, and if you have listened to the podcast at all in the last little bit, you might have heard me review Quirkle a little while ago and talked about how outstanding the aroma profile was for me. And this is the second best that I've come across. Ah. And again, maybe it is the combination of terpenes in, in this cultivar. But as soon as I open the jar, delightful aroma notes. So here's what Gelato 33 is. It is named after the legendary Larry Bird, a hybrid flower which offers a tantalizing experience in a category of its own. An intricate, delicate bud structure and an abundance of trichomes. Well, we always put that to the test, right? So pull out the Juniors loop. And take a peek and see if we can spot this abundance of trichomes, yeah? That's fairly thick. Not perhaps the fields of trichomes that 
I might have expected just little patches of them, but they are very abundant in those little patches. Hmm. Uh, lots of well-matured red hairs on it, very well trimmed, very well manicured. So the bud looks really nice. It has a delightful aroma as well, as I already pointed out, and very, very close to, to what Quirkle was doing for me in terms of that nose appeal. And I think we've all come to that realization, right? If you if you smell some weed and it goes, Ooh, you probably shouldn't smoke it. It's probably not going to do a whole lot for you. And I think I think that's the trigger that our endocannabinoid system uses to say, no, 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 stay away from that. <laughs> I used to use that all the time when I was at a dispensary last year. And people would take a sniff of the bud jars back when you could sniff the bud jars. And as soon as they turned their nose at it, I'd grab the jar and say, okay, well, we're not going to proceed with that one. Let's try something else. This one, again, just has a really, really heavy aroma. Love it. I think it's time we gave it a try, though. So let me get a joint rolled and something into the crafty as well, because definitely based on the aroma profile, this is something I want to taste. Let me give you the rest of the details while I kind of prepare this in the background. Gelato 33 is the love child of two great strains, Sunset Sherbert and Thin Mint Girl Scout Cookies. Okay, I guess that allots for much of the flavor profile, doesn't it? From which it inherits naturally occurring terpenes that emit intense aromas of orange, earth, and mint. I guess it is the, the combination in this case of the earth and mint, or the, the orange and mint, that's given it that. It's... Yeah, it's like a fruity, like a fruity note. In the last week of flowering, the colas swell up with fiery orange hairs and purple hues, giving this plant a look as enthralling as its scent. And yeah, I'd have to say it, it, it is a pretty good looking bud. A TAT content range between 24 and 30 percent. Gelato 33 may impart a feeling of euphoria and creativity. <gasps> I hope not. <laughs> Sorry, I... Couldn't resist the sarcasm there. Well, seeming to boost energy levels. Now, THC 24 to 30. Let's see what we got on this guy. How about 25.4? Just over that 24 and, and a fairly good kick, I would imagine. And in terms of the terpenes, taking a look on the package to see if they are indicating terpenes on the package. And sadly, I'm not seeing terps on the package itself. However, on the website... They are there, and the dominant terpenes, not a surprise based on what I'm already kind of feeling about it. Myrcene, caryophylline, and limonene, and terpenes at 2 to 3%. I wish that more LPs would start putting that terpene percentage onto the packages. We're seeing it more and more, and just like THC, it's becoming a factor that people are coming into the store. I actually had someone this last week who came in and his only goal was to have whatever we had in the store that had the highest uh, terp percentage uh, in flour. Of course, if we went into concentrates, we would have some different options. But in the flour, it was a terp that was sitting at 6.1%. I think that was Ignite Platinum Cookies. So I have a, enough material to roll a joint. Let me get that joint rolled. And I have enough material to throw into the vaporizer for that delightful flavor test, which is always a sweet treat with cannabis. And I think it's going to be a real sweet treat this time. 
And let's get some inside of that crafty. This is an opportunity for me to uh, share something embarrassing <laughs> in regards to Cultivar Corner. You have heard me speak of my friend JS in Quebec before. He has been a subject that I've spoken about a few times on the podcast. We've shared some stuff. In fact, he even sent me some brownies. Well, we decided to do a little exchange. Um, he was really enthralled by Quirkle. And he, he didn't have a chance to taste it because they didn't have it in Quebec. Well, they did when I sent it to him. <laughs> and I asked him to send me what he would choose to be a strain that he thought that I should really take a taste of that we couldn't get in BC. And that was one from Tribal called, oh, oh no, <laughs> mint, something mint, gelato mint. That's what it was. So I had this. I did a cultivar corner when I opened up the package. I recorded a whole long segment. I told JS that it was going to be on the, probably the next episode. <laughs> and then earlier today, I went looking for it. And I don't know whether I just didn't save it when I was done or I left it on the computer and, and it rebooted. And sometimes I will lose projects that way. And I'm afraid I lost that cultivar quarter. <laughs> I'm really sorry, JS. It was a good one, too. <laughs> My response to the uh, gelato mint from Tribal was uh, good. Not, it didn't hit me quite as powerfully as Quirkle did, but it was a really nice stone. I really enjoyed the high. And it was a lot of fun, but now a little embarrassing to admit that to you. So let's forget that never happened. And let's talk about Lot 420 and Gelato 33. Much like with Quirkle, there are some flavor notes when you're smoking the joint. Oh, and of course, this is when I sighed. <laughs> the universe is playing with me tonight. I just tried to turn on my crafty, and it's telling me that it needs to power up before it's going to do anything else. Can I still use the crafty if it's plugged in? Let's try. No, I can't. <laughs> I just discovered the crafty plus is empty. So it's all going to be joint with Gelato 33, which is good because it does have a nice flavor profile. Oh. Oh, and there's those first signs of euphoria coming on in. May impart a feeling. Oh, ah, I love those rushes. And that was a really nice one. Impart a feeling of euphoria and creativity while seeming to boost energy levels. And boy, is this good timing, too. Because <laughs> I'm going to need to use that creativity and those boosted energy levels to complete the rest of the podcast after we finish this. Oh, yeah. Much the same. <laughs> Another rush. Always love a nice rush after a hit. And, and... Definitely some heavy euphoria. There's the happy eyes. The happy eyes are there, and they're they're quite happy right now. <laughs> Let me be clear on that. And I can tell you, having been able to sample the lot 33 in another instance, 
with the Crafty Plus, it tastes absolutely delightful. That's when really those hints of what, let me get back into the hints of the orange and the, and the mint, those really came through when you get it into the vaporizer. Tastes just delightful. And I would also say has a very delightful effect. Euphoric. <laughs> and there again, there's a pretty significant clue. <laughs> Just like coughing and giggling might also be a fairly significant clue. <laughs> I'm liking it. There's a good chance that you might too. Lot 420, Gelato 33. Hmm. The creativity to build a podcast. And to finish up today, I want to talk about something that is impacting a lot of people. I've had personal experience with probably three or four different people that I know in my life that have done some form of a tolerance break of late. And if it's not a tolerance break, maybe it's just changing up the type of strains that they're smoking or the type of cultivars they are. This is a story from CannabisHealth.com. Tolerance Break 101 for medical cannabis patients. Set yourself up for success. Now, I suspect there's a couple of things in here that might apply to non-medical patients in taking your tolerance break. So what is a tea break? A tolerance break is an intentional cessation of THC cannabis to assist in the reset of the CB1 receptors within the endocannabinoid system, explains Jessica Dalziel, a registered practical nurse and director of clinical services at Canada House Clinics. Over time with THC usage, our body's endocannabinoid system begins decreasing the amount of CB1 receptors available for THC to bind to, says Dalziel. They will still uptake THC, but the impact of THC will be much lower than it once was. THC binds to receptors in order to provide therapeutic effects like pain relief, sleep, appetite suppression or stimulation, and mood regulation. Dalziel explains that since patients use cannabis on a regular basis, they are likely to develop a tolerance to the cannabinoid. Typically, the solution for THC tolerance is what's known as a tolerance break. But is it safe for patients to discontinue their physician-authorized medication cold turkey? Prescription medication is simple. You take the instructed amount at a certain time for a period of time. Plant medicine isn't always that simple, or at least it can feel that way. When a patient develops a tolerance to a prescription medication, they consult their doctor on how to move forward. It's the same with medical cannabis. You're never alone in making decisions about your medicine. The physician who authorizes your medical cannabis will be able to best advise whether adjustments need to be made to your regime. It may be time to consider a tolerance break if you're noticing that you aren't getting the same benefits as you used to. As time moves on, you'll need to continuously increase your THC intake for symptom relief. Creating a costly care plan for the average patient, says Dalziel. Patients experiencing brain fog, the cost of your prescription increasing, increased symptoms of depression, decreased motivation and energy, or leaving the country for travel should consider a tolerance break. According to Canada House Clinics, patients who use cannabis on a daily basis might benefit from taking regular tolerance breaks. They recommend patients take one week off of THC every two to three months as required. Taking a break from THC use will assist in replenishing the CB1 receptors and save medical users from more costly care plans. Now here are some tolerance break tips. Set yourself up for success when taking a tolerance break. Remember, a tea break is only the cessation of THC. 
You can still use other cannabinoids and terpenes to ease any adverse symptoms. Dunsial suggests taking CBD to ease symptoms of THC cessation, like irritability, anxiety, and depression. Terpenes are what provide cannabis its smells and flavor. They also contribute a large portion to the therapeutic effects cannabis provides, says Dalziel. Look for the terpenes in everyday food and nature to potentially assist with symptom control during your tolerance break. During the tolerance break, think of self-care as a requirement rather than a recommendation. Exercises can help accelerate getting THC out of your system, as well as ease any psychological symptoms of the tolerance break. Self-care means different things to different people and can be highly individualized. Meditation, yoga, hiking, reading, journaling, etc. can all be used as tools in your Tolerance Break Toolkit. After your Tolerance Break, Daziel recommends abiding by the old adage, start low and go slow, because smaller amounts of THC will likely affect you more than you expect. When restarting THC, start with microdosing and titrate your way up. Utilize CBD at least once daily. This can help slow down your body's speed of tolerance, says Daziel. Do not rush titration or you will end up where you left off, and the tolerance break would have served minimal purpose. And I have to say, it's something that I have considered, uh, being a consumer of cannabis on a frequent basis. I have thought about doing a tolerance break, and it, it probably would be worth it, but I don't know that I want to take a week off. <laughs> I'll give it a bit more consideration, but there are some tips for you if it's time for you to take a tolerance break to get more effects out of the THC you consume. And to finish off today, uh, a story that, that kind of has a dual edge to it. I, I'm kind of happy about the contents of the story, uh, and you'll understand why in a moment. The yet-to-open BC Cannabis Store location in Kelowna was damaged this week by fire. Kelowna firefighters responded to flames spreading up the side of the building before 11 p.m. on Wednesday night. This is another story from our friends at the OZ. They managed to knock down the blaze, but not before it damaged the outside of the building on Highway 97. The store was expected to open August 13th. It's unclear whether the fire will delay that opening, and no cause has yet been released. And if you go back to October of 2020, there was a fire that damaged the BC Cannabis store about to open in New Westminster the day before that opening happens. Now, why do I have differing opinions on this story? Well, we've talked about it before. Here in British Columbia, the BC Liquor Distribution and Cannabis Distribution Center is the source for all cannabis for every licensed retail store in the province. We all have to get our merchandise from BC Cannabis Store, in essence. And so this is their retail outlet. It doesn't seem fair somehow in this world. And I was, I actually hadn't heard that it had been approved to come to this city. So this was a bit of a surprise when I saw that there was a fire that stopped the opening of it. But there you go. Uh, there have been petitions trying to stop the spread of the BC cannabis stores because for all the other retail stores that are trying to keep abreast of what's out here, it's getting tougher and tougher as each store opens and adding BC cannabis store to the mix is not a good part of the equation. So there's my editorial for this week. If you ever have a comment on anything you hear on the Cannabis Podcast, please let me know. Info at CannabisPodcast.com is the email address. You'll always find links to everything that was talked about back at CannabisPodcast.com right with the episode. And if there's ever anybody you think that should be interviewed, please send their name along. I'd love to have a chat with them. That wraps it up for episode 76 of the Cannabis Podcast. From the Cannabis Infused Studio, high above the Okanagan Valley, this was the Cannabis Podcast.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.